The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. You're going to want to listen tonight to a friend of mine uh, who, on the subject of transformation, has no doubt been transformed by that grace that I was talking about earlier. He originally came uh, north uh, from the thriving metropolis of San Francisco, California. He's been married to his lovely wife, Andrea, for almost 35 years. In two weeks, they will celebrate their 35th anniversary. And as Harvey has told me, uh, they've already renewed their contract. She's going to keep Harvey around, hopefully for another 35 more. Uh, And uh, Harvey is a guy who is no doubt passionate about students. He has a... uh, uh, a background in Youth for Christ, uh, a, a background in Young Life, and has been a pastor right here in Seattle for about the last 30 years at Emerald City Bible Fellowship. And he and I were originally uh, connected by a great friend of ours, a guy named uh, Connie Jacobson, in, in a, uh, a Wednesday Bible study where uh, a group of men, uh, different pastors from around the city that just got together, and all we did was open up the scriptures and share together. Uh, he has an awesome story of, of transformation. It's what he's passionate about. It's what Janie got us started on last week. So please give a warm in welcome to my good friend, Mr. The Right Reverend Harvey Drake. All right. How about that? How would you like somebody to call you Mr. Bruh, you just made me look old, dude. I thought you would have been better than that just coming off of Hawaii. How's everybody doing tonight? Did you get worn down by school and classes and profs and and TAs and all that good stuff today? Oh, no, this is this. You guys are asleep already. Let me see some teeth out there. No, not not that much. Come on. Tone it down a little bit. Hey, I'm glad to uh, be here with you guys as Ryan has mentioned. Uh, we've had the privilege of kind of being in a little Bible study together. Uh, boy, I think we've been going through the book of Luke for about 20 years. Huh? Well, maybe not quite 20, but it's been a while. We we just get together and we fellowship over lunch and we share in the word because we're all interested in what it really means to become more like Christ. And that's really uh, important for me. Can I just tell you a little bit about me? As he mentioned, I hailed from San Francisco. My wife and I both are from that great city. And I often say facetiously uh, or in jest that I was banished to Seattle. I said, God, why'd you send me to that rainy place 28 years ago? I was doing well at home. And he banished me. He took me away from all of my family and a lot of my friends. But he brought me here for a purpose because he was trying to do something in me that he could not necessarily accomplish there, right? And so when God has a view or a plan for us to do something great in us, sometimes he'll move us or shift us or call us into something. And so that is how we got here. But but I love that city. I still love it. The uh, 49ers are still one of my teams. Yeah, I know they beat the Seahawks this year. So, so I'm conflicted, right? Because I'm a lifelong 49er fan, but I'm also a uh, newly... Red Seahawk fan, right? 
So, so it depends on who's doing what the, that determines who I want to win. So since Seahawks aren't in the playoffs, I'm rooting for the 49ers that they go all the way this year. All right? Is that okay? Did I just say something wrong? Okay. Well, anyway, let, let me tell you a little bit about me. I think I have a few minutes to talk. Transformation is a really important thing and something that happens in all of us. And this is what it can look like. I happen to be born crippled. You can't tell now, but when I was born, I was born with a club foot. And uh, so I used to walk on this part of my foot. And it took uh, several operations for them to get that thing straightened out so that I can walk. And I had the word cast so long that it, it uh, sort of stunted the growth in my right leg. And so if I pulled my pant leg up and turned around and stood on the stage, which I will not do at this place, maybe at the retreat if you come, you will discover that this guy has some funny-looking legs. He's got one that's about yay big, and the other one that's just boom. And so when I wear shorts, and I do wear shorts because I'm not ashamed of it anymore, right? I just tell people, this is a picture of me being transformed from little to great, right? Uh, and so it's a weird thing. So that's how my life started, right? And uh, so I start off crippled. Then I end up, my, my dad and mom were married, and I was born, right, crippled. They separated uh, when I was seven years old because my dad was uh, severely alcoholic and was really mean to my mother. I mean, absolutely mean to her. I still have a vivid uh, images of some of the horrible stuff that my dad did to my mom, and I won't describe it now. I might do it at the retreat if you come. Right? But it was really, really bad. And so at the age of seven, my mother and father separated. They never divorced, but they separated. So I lived apart from my dad from age seven. Now, um, after that, my mother uh, became so distraught that not only did she uh, move from doing alcohol, she became a heroin addict. And at the age of 39, this lady dies. And I'm just a young guy, just really young. And I'm thinking... That's way too young for somebody to lose their life. But because of what was happening in her life, it led her to that. And uh, so it, so that was kind of tough in itself. My mother was also uh, a lady of the night. She, she was a prostitute. And uh, I would leave for school uh, at, on Friday mornings, and I wouldn't see her sometimes until Sunday night. And initially, I didn't know what was going on. Why, you know, why is this woman leaving like this? Why, why is she gone? And I'm, I'm 10 years old around the time when this starts happening. And I've got a sister who's nine, one who's eight. Then the youngest girl at the time was six years old. And here I am as a 10 year old having to fend for the four of us and take care of us. And sometimes we didn't have enough food to eat. And so I'm very familiar with sugar sandwiches, syrup sandwiches. And I became a connoisseur of, of cornmeal mush. Anybody in here know what cornmeal mush is? You don't have a clue, do you? You guys, you have too much McDonald's and Burger King and Quiznos. But, but that's what I learned to cook. And so I would boil this cornmeal and put some sugar and butter in it, man. And you talk about it's creamy and smooth. Oh, yeah. If you, if you have my cornmeal mush, you, you will love it. But I found myself then having to do all that. And because of that thing that was happening in me, it started building something in me that probably wasn't the best, right? So here I am growing up in this kind of environment with a dad who was a little mean to his mom. They eventually separate. Uh, mom becomes a heroin addict. Dad is still alco pretty alcoholic. 
And as a result of that, guess what happened to me? My sisters and I began to do some of the very same things that happened in our family. Right? Um, I, I was one of the lucky ones. I, I guess uh, God had a, a vision or a plan for me, and so he did something for me. But even today, my sister, the one right, who's right under me, is still struggling with drugs. I mean, it's really sad to see that at, you know, <clears throat> so many years old, she's still doing that. And uh, my youngest sister became uh, sort of the biggest druggie of us all. I used to do acid and opium and mescaline and hashish and all that stuff in combination, not to mention the marijuana and all the, all the drinking. Really goofy stuff, man. But initially we thought it was cool stuff to do, you know. And it turned out to be really, really bad for our family, right? And so I did that. But my youngest sister became kind of the worst of us all. She was such a, a, a deep drug addict that she lost her three children. To this day, she doesn't know where the youngest boy is at all. And she used to live in old abandoned apartments. Just, I mean, old abandoned apartments, right? And uh, <clears throat> she would sneak into places, and that's where she would live. And she was so bad off that one day I saw her, and she was walking around, and she didn't have shoes. She had a shell on the top with no soles on the bottom. And that's how she walked around. And I never will forget, she went to one of my sister's places of employment trying to get some help and told them that they needed to help her because um, her father had died. Well, her father at that point had not died. And so that's how bad off she was. So if you, if you, you get this picture of kind of what was happening kind of in our lives. And so that's kind of where I was. And so at a young age, here I am, I would, I would steal car, car batteries, uh, break into houses and take people's shotguns. I would go to my neighbor's house, unlock his window. And when he would leave, crawl in and take his money. And then I had this vision and this dream that one day I'm going to go to college, get a business degree, and then I was going to embezzle some money. Watching a little too much Perry Mason. Yeah, go to Channel 72 if you have cable. You can watch all the black and white Perry Masons you want. And you get, you see all these scenarios. But I thought, what would take me from stealing from the mom and pop store when I would go in and steal cookies and ice cream to taking me, to causing me to steal or embezzle money from a company? Somebody thought, well, if you just educate the guy, he'd be okay. But the reality is, is that with the education that I would have gotten, I would have become more of what I was already. Why? Because something needed to be changed on the inside. And one of the things that we have to grapple with as young people is that we, we, we sort of live out who we are on the inside. How many of us try to make the outside look really good? I just ran into a lady not too long ago. She had permanent makeup tattooed on her face. And she had permanent eyebrows put on. I thought, you what? Oh, I don't want to take time to look beautiful anymore. I just want to wake up beautiful. That's what happens when you watch those movies. You know, every, they go to sleep and sleep all night and they wake up and they're beautiful already. No, you got to wash your face, baby. You know what I mean? But, but she's doing all this. Why? Because she's trying to fix up her outside, and we go through all this stuff. I'm getting ready to go into a healthiest loser competition uh, starting next week, and I'm going to lose 75 pounds. You guys are going to pray for me, right? And you're going to pray fervently and frequently, right? 
So this man can reach his goal, right? And a lot of, a lot of what we do is to try to fix up the outside and the outside never quite makes it because what really is important is what's happening on the inside. Now, Ryan mentioned that uh, I had a pretty interesting story and that's exactly right. I should not be where I am doing what I'm doing. But the only reason that I can do what I do, and that's to love people, to encourage people, to build people, to try and inspire people, is because of the transformation that God has worked in my life. And I'm here to share with you all tonight, that's exactly what God has in mind for each and every one of you. It is his ultimate dream and desire that each of us would be, somebody say, fashioned. Okay, let's try that again. Somebody say fashioned. Somebody say squeezed. Somebody say molded. Come on, do do this. Molded. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that God foreknew who was going to come to him, and he predetermined that those who came to him would be fashioned into the likeness and image of his son, Jesus Christ. And many people struggle with what does that really look like? How, how do you be conformed to the image of Jesus? But that's God's ultimate goal for each and every one of us. Every person under the sound of my voice who walks on this green planet, it is God's desire that you would be shaped and fashioned and molded after the image of his son, Jesus. That's what God wants of us. And so God has to take us through some things to get us to that place of being transformed and changed. And it really starts with having an encounter with him. And this is pretty incredible because I did not grow up in the church. I was 20 years old when I made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. By that time, my life was in shambles. Too early to have a life that's in shambles. And I trust that none of you will ever be close to where I was at your age. That's my deepest prayer, is that somehow you will never, ever get there. But at that point, I had to make this commitment to Jesus. I came into this encounter. Somebody had the, somebody had the joy of telling me about Jesus, the nerve, the temerity, the guts. To tell me about Jesus. What, what are you telling me about Jesus for? What has Jesus ever done for me? Jesus has never helped me. Look at my family. Look at my mom. Look at what my dad did to my mom. How are you going to tell me about Jesus, right? But somebody dared to keep telling me, man, that God, God loves you, man. And God understands your pain. He knows all about your disappointment. He knows that you're disgusted with life. He knows that you have no real vision in life. You've never seen anything worth uh, uh, striving for. But they dared to tell me about Jesus. And the more they told me, the more I had to think about it. Something powerful happens when you mention the name of Jesus to people. From that point on, I was always caused to do this comparison thing where I was compared to what they kept telling me God wanted me to be. Before they told me about Jesus, I never thought about that. But they just introduced the idea of God's love for me and care for me and concern for me and how God had far more in mind for me than anybody else. And it caused me to do this a lot more. And it got to the place where I finally realized what God wants from me has got to be more important than I've wanted for me. But it started with somebody telling me about Jesus. Powerful stuff, man. So don't ever shy away from just telling somebody about Jesus. Whisper it if you have to. Just whisper it. Jesus. 
Don't tell me about what do you know? You don't want me to tell you about Jesus. Don't talk to me about him. Why? Why don't you want me to talk about Jesus? Because if you just get the name out there, something starts to happen and you start to change. Then you realize, <clears throat> then you realize that what they were talking about in the book of Luke, where it talked about the good tree and the bad tree, how the bad tree cannot produce good fruit, how a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Then you begin to see how God began to work in you and change you. And believe me, when I was younger, you probably didn't want to run to me, run into me in a dark alley. I was a nice guy. I really was. No, I, no, I really was. I was a real nice guy. I just didn't like people. <laughs> you know, I, I, did, I, I didn't like people. But God began to do something in me, and the work that he began in me began to really change me. And I'll tell you how, how it worked out. I, I, Ryan mentioned that uh, on the 22nd of this month, my wife and I will celebrate 35 years of marriage. Thank you very much. <clears throat> but what you have to understand is that I grew up in an environment where I was taught and told that I needed to be with every young girl I could as often as I could. So this whole thing about being faithful to somebody was not something that was even a part of my lifestyle. But when God started doing that new thing in me and started changing me, it changed my outlook about women. It really did. And so I was 20 years old. And by the time I made a commitment to Jesus, I was doing the wild thing more than anybody should be doing it. Okay? But it was something that happened when I made that commitment to Jesus. God, he just started changing how I thought about young ladies. And he gave me this newfound appreciation and respect for them. And it just changed my, changed my whole life. So at 20, I just said, you know what? God's got a different plan for me, a different way he wants me to live. And I started trying to, trying to work that thing out. And I, I uh, was, was, was committed to a second virginity, if you will, at that point. And I was, I was a cool cat. And then I met my wife. And we got married. And God has helped me to live faithfully with that woman and respectfully 35 years. Why? Because of the, the stuff that God does in you. And so that good tree began to produce good fruit. I have two great sons, man. Oh, boy, two, two dynamite boys. And I always knew that they were going to be uh, hellions. I mean, no. I always knew that they were going to be change agents, and they are both dynamic individuals, both of them. And I just, I just know that their lives are different because of the transforming work that God began to do in my life. Because we generally emulate where we've been, what we've been exposed to. Huh? Yeah. Just like your daddy. Yeah, just like, you look just like him. You talk like him. You even like him. I can't stand him and I can't stand you. Uh, uh, and people, that, that's, that's the truth. What my parents did, I started to do. And for me, it was these little crazy things. For some people, it's arrogance. It's being pompous. It's being pious. It's being too good for other people. 
So we all have some, some kind of funny, funky quirk, right? In our lives. And we get that, but when God comes into your life, He begins to transform you and change that. So that you begin to be something else. And so the, the issue is, what, what does it really look like to be somebody who's been transformed by God? And I think if you go back into Luke and you look uh, into that chapter before you get down to verses 43, 4, and 5, you'll discover that Jesus begins to talk to them about, about loving their enemies. You've got to be, come on, man, love your enemy. Jesus is crazy, isn't he? He's out of his cotton picking mind. I don't know if you ever picked cotton, but he's out of his mind. Right, right, right. Come on. He's telling you to love people that don't love you. How idiotic is that? No. If somebody smacks you, what do you do? You smack them back, right? Yeah, our human has said, boy, if he winds up on you, you better do a double wind up on him. But no, Jesus comes at you all crossways and crazy and said, no, you got to love that person who's your enemy. Jesus, I really, we're going to have a talk when I get to heaven. We're going to straighten Jesus out. But he tells us we got to love. So, so when you start to be transformed, God gives you some capacity to do some things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Huh? Talking about this whole judging thing. I don't know if you like me, but I just, I just think I'm better than everybody. I am better than you, sweetheart. Brother, I'm better than you, man. Look at me. I'm twice the man that you are. I might be three times the man that you are. Right? I, I just may be that, baby, you know. But, uh, and that's kind of how we grow up thinking we're the best things in sliced bread. We never slice it ourselves, but we think we're it. Right? But, and we have this way of judging people who might be slightly different than we are. Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. Don't put a smile on your face now. <laughs> but think about it, man. But Jesus comes along before he gets to verses 43, 4, and 5. And he says, no, I, I don't want you judging people, man. I want you to be a just person. And judging is that thing where, where you treat yourself better than you treat somebody else. Where you give yourself slack when you don't give somebody else slack. You know what I mean? That's, that's, what's, that's what he's going to get. He said, no, I want you to be just in all of your relationships. I want you to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And, and when I was in elementary school, in every classroom, they had the golden rule on the wall. Do unto others as you have others do unto you. That was on every wall. When, when I was in elementary school, they prayed at the start of every morning. Uh, and then they did the Pledge of Allegiance, right? And so they were trying to ingrain that in everybody. You treat people the way you want to be treated. And that's what God does for us when we are changed and transformed. He gives us the capacity to treat people in a whole different way. What does it look like to be transformed by God? It means we learn to love. It means we learn to trust. I don't know about you, but... You know, my, my mom, bless her heart, I love, I love my mom. If she were alive, she would be my witness. I never said a cross word to my mother. All the things she did that were cross to me, I never disrespected her. And I take that back. When I was 20, I uh, came out of the Army. I dropped out of college, went into the Army, did two years, came home. And um, we were both at the time kind of doing a little drug thing. My mom was high, and she attacked me because I wouldn't give her money. And uh, when she came at me, I jumped, and she caught me here, and she 
peeled all the skin off of my neck. And it, it, it hurt too. But when that happened, I said to her, why don't you stop it? And I said the S word to her. And my eyes got that big. Because literally I had never sassed my mother at all. But it was interesting because my mom did so many things that, that would be, that we would consider very abusive. Uh, when, when she was doing her drugs, man, she stole all of my stuff. And she would sell it to buy drugs. Stuff I saved for. Stuff I begged for. The stuff I borrowed. The stuff I... No, I didn't steal it. I'm sorry. But she did all that to me. And how many know that when, when your parents cross you in certain ways, sometimes it becomes a little hard to trust. Or when friends uh, betray you, it becomes a little hard to trust. But how many know that when we transform, God gives us the ability to trust again? I was raised really not to not to trust white people. Because uh, all you white guys, especially, you always start in trouble. Yes, you are. Always start in trouble. So I was raised not to trust white people. But when God began that work of transformation in my life, he brought me to a place where I can honestly trust you, dude. And I'll trust you until you cross me. Then I'll beat you down. Because <laughs> I'm about, yeah, I'm about twice your size. You know, it, but, but when you change, God calls you to trust again. And we come to this place where we have to, we have to, we have to risk. We have to trust. And when you can't trust, sometimes it's hard to love. I love people that I can trust. But if I don't trust you, it's hard to love you. But when God begins to work in you, somebody turn that iPhone off. I'm speaking. Oh, was that my phone? I'm sorry. But when God began that transforming work in you, he, he gives you the ability to trust again. Which then enables you to love again. And then for some of us to hope again. Hope again. Hope again. Some of you don't have a problem with that. You've grown up with role models. You've seen everybody who's somebody. Every person, every white person in America, I believe, most of them grow up with this vision that they could be if they wanted to be president one day. There's a rare, rare black person who ever think they could be president of the United States. Now that may change. Now that we have a, our current president is African-American, it may change. It may change. But there's some of us who couldn't hope for anything. And so we settle for being less than God really wants us to be. But my, my, my word to you tonight is know that God whew, wants to do something powerful and dynamic in each and every one of you. That God wants to complete the work that he has begun. In fact, there's a scripture that says that being confident of this one thing, I think it's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this one thing, that he, meaning God, who has begun a good work in you, guess what? Will complete it till the day that he returns. And so part of it is not not feeling like you have to do all the, how much time do I have? Uh Uh-oh. All the work yourself. Part of it is knowing that once we make a commitment, we've got four minutes. Once we make a commitment to Jesus, real quick, I better say this really fast. Once we make a commitment to Jesus, then he'll make it all right to us. 
But once we make that commitment to Jesus, then Jesus begins this work in us. And so the transformation is not something that happens from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. And the reason I can honestly stand here today, tonight, and say to you that I can hope and that I can trust, that I can believe, that I can love, that I can risk, is because of the work that Jesus began in me because I made that kind of commitment to him. Came to that place where I said, God, I can't handle life on my own anymore. I don't want to. Please come into this old raggedy, broken down life. And would you make me everything you envisioned me to be? And this has been a great, great journey, man. Not always easy, but it's been a great journey because my youngest son was nearly killed in a random drive-by shooting three years ago. Seven months later, my wife nearly died from a brain aneurysm. Not an easy journey, but it's been a good journey. Because even in the midst of the junk of life, the hard stuff in life, that transforming power that God gives us enables us to manage that crazy stuff, especially when we have good people around us. It was so wonderful to have some friends just come around and say, hey, just lean on me, baby. And so God began that work in us. So what does it look like to be somebody who's really transformed by Christ? It's a a great deal, man. It's a great deal. But don't feel the pressure that you have to be it on your own. No, because God is the one that does the work in you, man. I can't take credit for anything I have become. Honestly, it has been because of God's goodness, grace, his mercy that I can stand here and be ecstatic about being in a right relationship with God Almighty. And and I have to end with this by saying, and he's not done yet. Have not quite arrived. I still have some work to do. I've got 75 of me to get rid of, right? And that's physically, but I still have some stuff emotionally and on the inside that has to be dealt with as well. But as long as I continue to stay before God and make time for God in my life and to spend time with God, he'll begin to do that work in me, man. So that when he called my number, finally called my number and said, hey, you can come out of that, that world and come on and hang with me, then I'll be all right. But in the meantime, I'll just keep letting him do what he wants to do. How many wants to be changed tonight? Let me see, let me see your hand. How many wants to be everything God has for you? Come on, let me see your hand. God needs all of you to be people who are totally committed to him who are allowing him to complete the transforming work that he's begun in you so that he can use you where you're planted. Some of you are still on that campus. There are people on that campus that need to know about the life-changing love of God. Some of those people need to know that God can encourage and that God can heal. And those people know that God can, can carry you through Heavy stuff, man. And when we go through that and God brings us through, it gives us, it makes us a live illustration, if you will, what he can do. So I, I started by telling you about all this crazy stuff in my life, man. Born crippled. I mean, mom and dad separating when I'm seven, growing up without a dad, 
the home, him being severely alcoholic. And her mom died at the age of 39 as a heroin addict. My younger sister was a heroin addict and all that crazy stuff. But you know what the good news is? Is that my younger sister now is totally devoted to Jesus Christ. I mean, she is an absolute walking miracle. And when I see her and I hear her thanking God and praising God, I literally, I start welling up. I start tearing up. My dad, who would never, ever set his foot in the church, ever, he said all pastors were crooks. And I said, finally said to him, Dad, do you think I'm a crook, man? Do you think I'm a crook? Do you believe I am a crook? He said, no, man. And five years before he passed away, I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus Christ. And so that guy who was severely alcoholic, and I didn't tell you this, he, he lived with this woman for 22 years who died of cancer. And when she died, it hurt him. And then her children that he helped raise did some stuff that made it even more painful. And he started doing crack at the age of 62. So I got him to come to Seattle, got him healthy again. And then this guy commits his life to Jesus, man. So we ex- he experienced that transforming power. And so he became that good tree that began to produce good fruit. Before, he was that bad tree, and he was producing bad fruit. But he made that commitment to Jesus, man, and wow. And I would sit there and watch that guy and just see just how, how he changed. And it was incredible. And when we had his memorial service, well, we had funerals in the black community. We have to have the body there so we can touch it, feel it, kiss it one last time and all that good stuff. And every person that got up and said, boy, dad changed. They could tell that a transformation happened in Harvey Drake Sr. That was exciting for this brother. Exciting for this this brother. So keep asking yourself, what does it really look like to be transformed by the power of God? What does it really look like to be like Jesus? If you If you stay in the book, it'll tell you. If you read this thing, it'll tell you what Jesus is like. And then it gives you a roadmap. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, every person under the sound of my voice. Thank you for these young people. God, I'm grateful that they are here because they want to love you and know you. God, that they want to represent you uh, where you have planted them on various campuses. God, and I pray that you would complete the work that you have begun in them. Uh, that they would become that good tree out of which good fruit comes, God. Pray that, that they would realize that it's you who do the work in them. And we just partner with you, God. And I pray for strength in their lives. I pray for encouragement in their lives. I pray for healing in their lives. God, I pray for, for liberation and deliverance in their lives. Some of them may be struggling with things. God, they don't know how they're going to get away from it. God, but you're able to deliver and to heal and to set free. And I just pray a word of blessing over them. And thank you for who they are and who you are calling them to be. So God, may they put their hand in your hand. May they give you the freedom to change them and to transform them so that they can be a light to others around them. So we ask all these things in your son's powerful name. Let everybody in this room say, God is good. 
all the time. Zombie is Ali Malamu. I just said God is good in uh, Lingala from Congo, Africa. <laughs>